When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could from the things I've learned along the way. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and attempt to answer them as best I can. Uh, today, we have um, just the one idea, one idea, um, and that is to abide the Dude Abides, the Big Lebowski a film that has meant a lot to me, not only because it's hilarious, but because it describes that journey that people have to take from simplicity to complexity and then back again to a new kind of simplicity based on all the stuff that you've been through. And in the end, The Dude Abides, and that is the, the main lesson of the film, it's the main lesson of life. It's the main lesson that Jesus taught when he was on this earth, that when you are in Christ, when you live in the power of the crucifixion, the power of the resurrection, the power of the ascension, when you conform your life to the life of Jesus and follow him, follow his teachings, follow his example, and follow his grace that, that says to you, your sins are forgiven. When you do that, you can do this thing called abiding, to just abide. Uh, and it just means to be, to be somewhere, to be connected to something. It is in our disconnection that we experience the estrangement from each other's and God and the despair that comes with that. Saturday morning, while I was running with a friend of mine, we were talking about the American prison system, something he's studied extensively. And just how we know that solitary confinement is the punishment that is given to so many incarcerated people in the United States as a punishment. Um, it is so cruel to put someone isolated from the rest of society, from the other people. It is so cruel, almost cruel and unusual punishment. Maybe it is. It probably is. I think it is. It is so cruel. It is so harsh to put someone in isolation like that, that the damage, the psychic damage, the spiritual damage can be lifelong from that. And so the opposite of that is to abide. The opposite of this estrangement, this separation is abiding in the, in the vine. The illustration Jesus uses is this vine branch, this vine that um, is going to grow grapes, but it has to be strong, it has to be thick enough to support itself and to get the nutrients out to the leaves and the branches that are going to have the grapes. But the essential connector of this plant is this branch, this vine, this thick, uh, knotty wood that may not look so great, but when the grapes come out, you say, that's a good vine. That's a good year. And so this is the goal. And how do you get there? How do you get there when you have a history of being wary of trusting people. The traumas of our life cause separation and estrangement. They cause us to not trust other people. They cause us to, even in situations where we should be, should be uh, just accepting of connection <clears throat> and trust, <clears throat> makes it hard even in those times.
the abuses that we've experienced as children, the traumas we've experienced as adults, anything that's turned our world upside down is something that is like that knotty, thorny branch in our life that we constantly come back to. We meet a character in today's story who doesn't have a name. Uh, he's just called the Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. She is in the line of queens who uh, go back to Queen Sheba, Queen of Sheba, who went to uh, meet Solomon and learn of and learn of his wisdom. So this connection between Ethiopia and Jerusalem is a strong one. It goes way, 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 way back. Um, here, a thousand years, we're talking of history between Solomon and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so this Ethiopian eunuch is on his way back from Jerusalem. He's been in the city during the Pentecost events, this preaching and speaking in tongues, likely. And he's going back uh, down the coastal road, which uh, runs along the Mediterranean Sea, back to um, his own people. He is a high official. He's um, a court official, maybe a treasurer um, or someone in, char- in charge of the, her entire treasury, a very trusted position that were probably only given to eunuchs. Now, eunuchs are men who have been castrated, often at a very young age. Uh, there was a huge trade in eunuch slaves, um, often captured in raiding parties, in war. Uh, those who were indebted would sell their children into slavery. And, and then the slave traders would castrate them as young children, often. Many would die from this procedure. And the ones who lived would be extremely rare and, and sought after. Um, biologically, of course, eunuchs are trusted because they cannot uh, pass on their, their genetic material to any of the highborn ladies of the court. So they're able to mingle freely among the women who are sequestered or in a harem type situation and are able to function as officials. They can't take over the kingdom um, they can't become the king because they can't leave an heir. Uh, all these intricacies exist all throughout the ancient world, almost universally, and even into um, other time periods. The last court eunuch slaves um, were functioning in the 1920s. The Ottoman Empire had uh, slaves. They were often from sub-Saharan Africa or maybe Ethiopia, and they were enslaved men who were eunuchs, and they um, were the ones who attended to the, the gigantic harem of the Ottoman sultans, even up into the 1920s. It's kind of wild to think how, how that wasn't that long ago when it comes to what we think of human history as. And so this Ethiopian eunuch, although he is a high official and has a privileged existence, he is someone that can't go into the temple. Um, he can't go into the to the place where other men can go because he has been maimed from childhood. He is a disabled person in many ways in in the society of Israel. And so he is, even though he has privilege, he is on the margins. He has um, been told by the law that he has limits of how he can approach God. He's also a victim of child abuse. Um, It's hard to think of castration as as a child as, as anything other than that. 
um, done for an economic profit uh, to the owners, the kind of cruelty is unimaginable. And so as a victim of child abuse, um, as all victims of of child abuse um, feel the long-term effects of that trauma on their relationships, on life. And we thank God for those who have gone to therapy, found counseling, found healing, who have experienced traumatic events in childhood. But it seems to be a lifelong journey of working through that, of healing. And so this Ethiopian eunuch fits into that group as well. Many queer theologians have identified the Ethiopian eunuch as someone that that resonates with them as someone whose sexuality is different, markedly different from the men and even women around him. And so his, the, his, uh, his status as a eunuch, although fairly well established in the society of the day as a distinct category, um, he does not fit into the, the, um, the heteronorm, the heteronormative uh, definitions of sexuality. And so he is also a symbol of, uh, of queer identity. But more than anything, he is just a person. He is a person puzzling through the scriptures. Um, and he's riding in a chariot. There he goes along the way. Philip runs alongside him and hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. And they have this conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replies, how can I unless someone guides me? So he, he invites Philip into the chariot and they read the scripture together. And Philip tells him, you know, this, this prophecy written hundreds of years before this time was written about Jesus. The Old Testament bears witness to the Messiah in Jesus Christ, Jesus in his earthly life, um, which Philip may not have much contact with. He is a disciple that comes later. Um, Philip is uh, interested in how this trajectory of the Old Testament points to Jesus and telling people how to do that kind of work. This is something Christians did from the very beginning. This is the content of the apostolic preaching that look in the Bible and the Bible meant the what we would call the Old Testament today. There was no New Testament yet. Um, look in the Bible, and you will see that everything that Jesus did lines up with everything the Bible said the Messiah would do. Therefore, he is the Messiah. And the eunuch believes him. He believes in Jesus as this, this good news, this new word in the world. And he says, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He knew about the baptisms that had happened in Jerusalem and he wanted to get in on it. And so they stop the chariot, fill up the eunuch, they go down to the water and Philip baptizes him. When he comes out of the water, suddenly the spirit snatches Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. A pretty wild story of teleportation. And yet this is how the Holy Spirit is getting the word out. For some reason, well, for, I hope, obvious reasons, the Holy Spirit knows the gospel must go to Ethiopia, or it's not the gospel. If the gospel doesn't go to queer people, it's not the gospel. If the gospel doesn't go 
to people that are handicapped or disabled or on the margins, people that have experienced abuse, then it's not the gospel. The gospel goes to everyone. The good news in Jesus Christ goes to everyone. And they don't have to stop being who they are. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't have to stop being an Ethiopian eunuch to be baptized. In fact, this is just a a new life that is an enhanced life. The life that Jesus brings is not a doing away of who we are. And this is true whether it happens with um, cultures that have had less influence from European civilization over the years. The gospel, when it's shared, should not negate people's uh, existence and their culture. And, and yet many times it has. Many times Christians have obliterated uh, culture, especially Protestant missionaries in the last 200 years, um, seeing pretty much everything people in other countries do as somehow backwards and they need to be civilized. Well, in fact, the gospel is not so much about civilization as it is about good news and seeing people rejoice. And that's what this Ethiopian eunuch does. He learns that he can abide, that he can abide in the love of Jesus, the love that was crucified on the cross, the love that rose from the dead, and the love that includes him as an Ethiopian eunuch there on this road to Ethiopia. This is the good news. And I hope you've heard it today. I hope you know it today, that your life with all the things that you, you bring to the world and all the things that have happened to you, that your life can be part of Christ's life without any of that stuff being taken away from you, that you are who God made you and God wants to include you in a deeper life so you can abide like the dude abides, like Jesus abides, and like this Ethiopi- Ethiopian eunuch abides. Let's abide today you've got this, you can do this, Jesus is with you, Philip is running alongside the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch is rejoicing, you can do this, you can abide. So I invite you to do that today. Amen.